Please listen carefully. Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. Um, uh, it's just us chickens today. <laughs> I like this. He means both of us and no one else. Yeah, I, I mean, I love having our guests, and we have some very interesting guests coming up already booked, and I'm excited about those. We've got a special Christmas present for our listeners um, that we'll record next time. But um, uh, today it's just us chickens, so let's talk uh, I, I think part of what we can do is unpack some of the past few episodes together, and I think our topic kind of helps us do that, don't you think? I agree, and I've, I've had some comments from listeners saying, hey, w- what would be really cool is if you guys talked further about some of these things. Oh, yeah. So that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to do that with our three tenants. Sacred cows make great barbecue. That's right, and that we let our flags fly proudly. Yes. We always are able to advance our own position. And we're bros before politicos. Always. Okay, so what uh, what we decided to do, if I'm remembering correctly, we decided we're going to you're going to share um, a scenario, and then I'm going to share a scenario, and then we'll kind of unpack these together. That's right. By way of introduction to our show today, I want to talk about uh, some social media episodes that have caused Scott and me to reflect on some of our conversations in the past and expose some underlying warrants. And by warrants, I mean basic syllogistic arguments from which much of our discourse springs. So let's talk about Facebook. Um, I, I have very, very good friends who are all over the political spectrum. And last night I was witnessing a conversation on Facebook that is very common where some of my friends who are left, left of center post really um, pointed criticisms of Donald Trump because of his bad rhetoric and his uh, language that borders on racism and his language that is pointed towards women. And it comes up pretty commonly and these people uh, who post about it are posting about something that you know happens very recently to their post and they often say and this you know it's ripping apart our democracy it's tearing us down it's making us less of a country and so forth and so when people respond i i read the initial post and i I read the response, and often the people who are posting are people of faith, and they have some additional message for uh, Christians or evangelicals like, you know, maybe you voted the first time as a lesser of two evils, but you're no longer exempt from voting better the next time because you, as Christians, we have seen four years of this horrible rhetoric and this awful person and this, mm-hmm. and so you you are without excuse, kind of, is the moral under undertone. And, and so it has in – I very rarely chime in. I just kind of read it. Mm-hmm. And, but I chimed in recently not as uh, – I want to be very, very careful because I am not engaging in what people call whataboutism as much as I am saying, hey, leftist friends – uh, I do not disagree at all that Donald Trump is a horrible speaker and that he says horrible things that are quite offensive to large segments of people. Don't disagree with that at all. 
don't disagree that he's made terrible decisions. Don't disagree with much of anything you're saying about him, the person. What I want to say is I didn't see these friends posting when our previous president, Barack Obama, was also engaging in executive orders and legislation and sometimes rhetoric that I found very destructive to our country as violations of liberty. And I, I want to be very transparent. In, this, uh, in our podcast in the past, I have articulated that I think Barack Obama was a terrible president. And so I'm, I'm very transparent about that today. I, I have much negative to say about Barack Obama, but he was very well-spoken. He was very he was humorous at times. He very in, engaging with his audiences and a very presidential um, at the microphones and in front of the cameras. And I want what what it caused me to wonder today is, and this is where Scott and I in, in discussing have come, is that it exposes an argument that to me, in the form of a question, is. What do we expect from our presidents, our leaders of our state, leaders of our country? What do we expect by way of good moral character? And the reason and how do we define that? And how do we define that? And the reason I think it's so important is because it seems to me that in looking upon and putting two our two most recent presidents side by side, one is elevated quite and and often you know you've seen on on Twitter bring back bring back Obama or you know be a I probably posted some of those you probably did and so there's a there's a an inordinate amount of lifting up and saying what a fantastic president and yes. an inordinate an amount of what a horrible president of Trump when to me they are both violating liberty in ways that are significant not just because I'm a libertarian I don't think I think. You know, we could start making lists, and that's not the purpose of today's podcast. But there seems to be a terrific pass given on one because he is deemed to have had high moral fiber, and there's a terrific uh, derogation, deriding of our current president um, because he seems to have horrible character, and this sometimes um, overshadows critical discussions of policy. Uh, that is true. Now, everything up until there, I've, I'm suspicious of, but that is absolutely true, that it clouds then a careful and nuanced conversation about policy, because all of a sudden, uh, we're, we do fall into, and frankly, it, it happens no matter who you are, we fall into whataboutism. First, let me respond by sharing a different and maybe um, also recent episode and kind of contextualize where I think some of the uh, some of the problem is um, at least from a moral standpoint and then let's and then let's go from there so um, as we record the impeachment process is underway um, and uh, public hearings will happen here very shortly um, but um, in his testimony on September 17th Corey Lewandowski was um, was confronted with a lie that he told Ari Melber on the beat in February. While responding to the question from Mr. Burke, that wasn't true, was it? Mr. Lewandowski responded, I have no obligation to be honest to the media. 
they are just as dishonest as anybody else. What's fascinating to me about this is the brazenness of amorality. I mean, I'm, I think that's interesting that it's not just amoral, it's brazenly amoral. And I think that's part of where I'm going to come a little bit with a discussion about where we are now as opposed to where we've been in the past. That is a kind of honest dishonesty, <laughs> right? Right. It's, it's shocking to hear um, a, person, a person say this. So that is in and of itself shocking, and it's possible to just be gobsmacked there and not really criticize the deeper issues that are going on. Um, because here's what, here's the thing about Corey Lewandowski. He's right. It is not illegal to lie to the media or to lie to the American public through the media. It is not illegal for a politician, for a candidate to say whatever the heck she or he wants to say. It's not illegal. It's totally fine. And there is no recourse right. for someone who lies to the public. You lie under oath, there's recourse. But there is no recourse. Everybody gets to be a liar. Except at the next voting opportunity. Well, there's, there's I, a, let's be honest. You can get away with it there as well. That's a different argument than if, if there's, that there's no recourse. Because if you are an engaged, critically minded citizen, you should be absolutely using the, vo- the voting box to, oh, I ex- agree. to exercise oh, I recourse agree. to liars. But I'm saying that there are no levers of accountability other than, the, other than people in the voting. Right. Right. Okay. That's right. The, the voting lever is the only lever. Outside of a court, yeah. Yes, outside of a deposition or some right, kind of right. uh, uh, official definition of perjury. So when Corey Lewandowski says, I have no obligation to tell the truth to the media, he's right. Mm-hmm. And that sickens me. Mm-hmm. It's shocking that he says it. It's shocking that he says it, but it's shocking that he's right. And I think that's something we have to come to terms with, not policy-wise. I think it's something we have to come to terms with as, as we have this discussion it is perfectly legal for a, a public official to lie to the media. But what I would also say is he's not lying just to the media. He's lying to the people the media reach. Yes. Right? Right. The other thing that shocks me, deeper than being gobsmacked at, at the statement, um, is his rationale. He justifies his lie. It's true. I lied. I have no obligation to be honest to the media because they are just as dishonest as everyone else. And this to me is the depth of the cravenness, yeah, right? It's terrible. It's a terrible argument. It is what about ism in defense of self. Everybody else are liars, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody else tells dishon- tells untruths. And so it's no longer expedient for when it's expedient for me to be honest, then I'll be honest. And when it's not expedient for me, I won't be honest. And here's my criticism is I think what he's articulating has become a moral code for much of the world around us, but I'm afraid it's becoming a moral code for many Christians around us, hmm. which is that I will I mentioned this at the end of our podcast last time with Bart, when we believe that virtue um, reaches us a particular end, we'll celebrate the virtue. When it brings about other ends that we're not necessarily comfortable with, then we excuse away the, the virtue, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a virtue anymore. It's a convenient- Utility. It's a convenient utility yeah. toward an end. Yeah. So 
if I'm only going to be honest when other people are honest, then I'm not honest. That's not character. Right. Right. And I am oftentimes looking for um, uh, leaders and politician in, in politicians and, and, and in other leadership roles, not just political ones or, or not just state leadership. I, I'm oftentimes looking for leadership that um, I'm expecting they're going to be making decisions that I won't get to see. I won't be able to, to speak into. They may have to be made quickly. They may have dire consequences. And I want to know that that person is a person of virtue when I'm not watching, when it's not convenient, when there aren't things um, uh, that are working. And here's the, uh, the third element or the third major irony of Corey Lewandowski. If you remember um, his testimony on September 17th, he, he testified before or answered questions to congresspersons before he met Mr. Burke. And that was kind of a, uh, well, things did not go well <laughs> for, for the Congress people because he, uh, he, he was scamping, skipping and dancing all over the place and having a great time, uh, definitely insolent about Congress, if not in clear contempt of Congress. But they took a break. And during the break, he tweeted his announcement as a candidate that he was going to run for the Senate believe in Massachusetts. And it's when he comes back in, in the first time he has a public address, he comes back in and there is where he makes this claim. It's just, it could not write this better. I am going to be a, a candidate for Senate. I am a liar. <laughs> right. And those two things are completely inexorable and probably acceptable to his, to his base. So I hear your criticism about people and their view of Donald Trump's morality. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're in a unique time. I think we've been slouching to this time for some while. That's their argument, that we are in a unique situation that's different from the past. But I think, we're, I think we've been on a trajectory. Okay. And I think if you ask anyone, when, when, so when George Herbert Walker Bush died, the president in the early 90s when he passed away uh, you know, just a couple of years ago. Um, you saw what amounted to a national mourning. Mm -hmm. When John McCain died, you saw what amounted to a national mourning. When I mean by that, it was all partisan. Right. Not just bipartisan. Everybody. And so nonpartisan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I guess that's <laughs> the right word. Everybody looks back at uh, Bush 41 and feels a sense that we lost something we used to have, that we lamented the loss of a man who would stand up to um, uh, a woman in his town hall who would accuse Barack Obama as though it's an accusation, accuse him of being a Muslim. And... Uh, defends his opponent as a good man. And you don't have to be a Republican. You don't have to be a John McCain Republican to look at that and think, wow, times sure are different than they used to be. Even recently, we've, we've probably been slouching in this direction for some time. We've probably, we've probably been on a trajectory for some time, but we are confronted daily with the rot at our core I think we're confronted daily with 
people like Corey Lewandowski saying out loud, of course I lie because it's the media and they deserve for me to lie at them. So I hear a lot of criticism that, wow, it's a shame that people are going after Donald Trump or Donald Trump's people for acts of immorality or for, for immoral statements or for dishonesty. or When you give us this much low-hanging fruit, it's very, very hard to work to try and be neutral enough to bring out the other instances there is so much low-hanging fruit happening here. He's not a little bit misogynist. He talks about where he'd like to grab women yes. whenever he gets That's to. That's right. Right? That's right. It's not a little bit. Right. It's a lot. It's low-hanging fruit. And it's very, very difficult for someone who does believe in um, does believe in morality, as I know you do. I, but it's very, very difficult to then reach past that low-hanging fruit to find other examples and measure them against these very, very weighty difficult, harsh examples. Let me Go respond ahead. for a Go while. Ahead. Okay. <clears throat> First of all, I want to make sure our listeners understand that as a Christian, I am highly offended right. by I, immoral behavior and immoral words and immoral pointed things about what he'd like to do to women. All those things offend me. You are the prudest person I know. <laughs> and I mean that as a compliment. No, and so let me... Let me make your point for you, because, um, you know, the thing about Dr. Bennett is uh, he knows the four letter words, but he doesn't even like it when people uh, get close to them. Right? <laughs> You're not a fan of the euphemisms for four letter words. <clears throat> That's probably true. I drink milk every day like Pat Boone. <laughs> but uh, but I am all the things you're saying about low hanging fruit. I have no argument with. I think it is. Where I see my leftist friends going, including you and conversations we've had, is I want our president to be a person of virtue and high moral character. And I think that is an argument worth exploring because presidents with high moral character often do things that yes. rip up the country. Sure, I understand well, that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay, and so I think when a man or woman puts a hand on a holy book and says, I swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States, that to me is the only measurement that I'm interested in. You started by saying, I don't want a president who lies to me. Well, I agree, but not because I want that person to be a good Christian. I want to hear truths about our country from that person, not for the moral reason, but for the the utilitarian reason. Wow. That's right. And as a Christian, I want the person to do great things and be a fine person. And it would be, given the choice between two great liberty presidents, one of whom is a high moral person and one is not, I would agree with you at that point, all things being equal, that it's a fine uh, situation to have a president to which children look up and say, hey, I want to be as great as this person is. But I think it's wrong to say it is better to have a good person than a person who follows the Constitution and holds up liberty, because the damage done to a country and to people who take risks in the market and to people who make lives better for everyone, the damage to that, though it may not be as sharp-edged as someone who says horrible things about women, is still damage. And it's damage that can be invoked. It's damage that can be um, 
put in action by someone who's a wonderful person who just does not understand economics like Barack Obama. Yeah. No. So, so, yeah, yeah. so let me just finish by saying uh, if we are in fact on a trajectory that has led us to a place where we put leaders in power that we think that we are uh, highly offended by at the surface level, that is something to get our attention and, and something we should pay attention to, um, something we should give mind to, because that person represents us to the world and that person, uh, a, a person who is able to read and think carefully about laws and about um, policies mm-hmm. and about positions in the world, that person it is much better if he or she is a person of high moral character, but it's not the primary characteristic that I look for. When you talk about honesty as a, as a utility, that's fascinating to me. I just recently heard, I'm not going to remember exactly who this was, so I'm not going to guess, but someone say, stating that Donald Trump would make a terrible mob boss, that, that <laughs> there are so many people who equate his activity, especially for, for what he's being impeached for, as being like a mob boss. And what this person was saying was, um, you can't say that because mob bosses are good to their word. Yeah. Now, that's not because they intend to be honest people. Right. It is utility. It is of utility for them, right? That's right. Yeah. I will confess that there is a deep part of me that does want uh, for my leaders to have demonstrable moral character. And I mourn it when it is absent, regardless of whether it has utility or not, because I think there is something that leaders are capable of doing. When I read um, Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address and the calls, I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but when he calls us to the angels of our better nature, Look, I think we're figuring out policy. I think we're trying to figure this out in real time. I hear the criticism that so-and-so doesn't follow the Constitution. Well, the Constitution is being interpreted. So I'm okay with someone interpreting it differently than even I would and saying, I'm not, I did not vote for this person who reads the, the, the Constitution in, uh, in this particular way. But nonetheless, my neighbors did, and the person is honest. I can get – I think I've mentioned this before coming up. Uh, Ronald Reagan was our president. I had, I still have no problem with it. He's, he's my favorite. I agree with almost nothing. The man stood. That for. fascinates me about you more than any other single thing. <laughs> how much you love Reagan, having disagreed with him so much, that it blows my mind, listeners. It blows my mind that Scott Self is his way. When a leader has the kind of, you're going to laugh at me. I'll get ready. But when the leader has the kind of empathy to understand why the nation is mourning when the Challenger explodes in the sky. And he understands the need to act as, um, as a leader in that moment, to speak to our sorrow in that moment. That is a leader, not just a person who is occupying an office. And I look for leadership. Okay. That's, that's articulate. I, I would say having someone who can speak eloquently when the shuttle explodes. No, I don't mean speak no, no, no. eloquently. Uh, okay. Th- that can tap in to a national mourning um, to national mourning in ways that that empathize with. Okay, no, I'm still getting deep, it wrong. It's okay. even deeper than that, Carl. Right. It's who have 
a sense of their responsibility to more than just their own political values or their own ends, but the needs of a people. And to me, that is a fantastic gravy, but only no, if that person is following the Constitution and giving liberty first to people who live in a country that's based on liberty. See, that's the thing is, I'm, you're, you've, you've, you've trumped it by saying, uh, well, but you have to have this, this hermeneutics of the, of the Constitution first, and then everything else is gravy. Yes. You're saying that you're saying that unless a leader agrees with your interpretation of the Constitution, it's all bad. Uh, I think that the Constitution is not up for literally any in- interpretation. But it's up for a lot more than just yours. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I think. I think as a libertarian, if libertarians were in the room, we would all say to limit the power of the government is the default. So, however you interpret a given tenant or a given amendment, it should be interpreted through the lens of limiting government power. And if that is the case, anything else to me is gravy about a person. Uh, I just, and I loved Ronald Reagan for reasons that you probably didn't. And I think what you're talking about regarding the- That's just icing on the cake Well, it's more than, I, it's, it's great. And he was very eloquent and he helped bring down Gorbachev's wall and all those things in, a, in the on the world stage. I think he was very helpful. And and naturally, his leadership ability factored into that, and I cannot deny it. But I also think, in most cases, the reason I'm so happy with him is that he uh, lifted up liberty. And I, I want to go. I want to make an argument in for you, and to see if you agree, because I've okay. heard you mention this, okay. and I've heard a lot of people on the left hold this up as truth, and I don't know what to do with it. Okay. I don't know what to do with the sentiment that people in the nation who are Trump supporters feel more permission to be misogynistic and racist because Trump is in office. That gets to your argument of leadership, right? People who might have latent racism or misogyny are now feeling empowered to demonstrate it more when Trump is in office. And I don't know what to do with that argument. Do you think that's true? Um, I do know that when the 2016 election happened, I was in Ohio at a conference. The next day, uh, late in the afternoon, I was on the phone with a friend of mine who works at Texas Tech. He works in the foreign language department where they teach English as a second language. Uh, And many of their um, consumers in that area, he doesn't work there anymore, but he did. Um, Many of their consumers are people from the Middle East who are trying to improve their English. Mm -hmm. It was a woman wearing a hijab. She was on her way into the building and uh, several young men surrounded her uh, and were pushing her around, pushed her to the ground, her hijab fell off, um, pushed her to the ground and my friend and some others in the building ran out uh, to rescue her, but as as they were running out to to stop the situation. They were, these young men were saying, Donald Trump is now our president, you have to go home. That's a shame. Now, is that, is that causal? It's clearly, it's, it's clearly organized in temporal mode, right? right? right. Um, and I have heard a number of stories like this. I've heard from my, uh, with my own ears, people say things that, 
you know, Donald Trump is not going to put up with so and so, such and such a group anymore, um, as though this is something to celebrate. We've got a strong leader who's going to kick out illegal aliens or or whatever. Look, this gets to the core of what I'm talking about. We have lesser angels and we have better angels uh, as as a people, as humans. And it's really important to me to to know which one you're going to tap into as a leader. Uh, you know, uh, charismatic leadership is something that's actually studied in the literature. It's not just, in fact, it's, it's been difficult for, for a definition of <laughs> what charisma is, right? That's a Greek word for, for grace anyway. But, um, but much, of the, uh, much of the literature that deals with this idea of charismatic leadership recognizes that there are qualities or features of a person that become relevant at a moment. Um, it's usually based upon a context. So somebody who has the secret sauce to fix a problem when the problem is uh, is severe upon us. Lee Iacocca mm-hmm. comes into Chrysler with a great deal of, of charisma, but it, it's not because he was all that great a, a guy or great a speaker or anything. It's just that he had a recipe to solve Chrysler's problem at the, pro, at the very moment Chrysler needs it, right? And so it's contextual. It's contextualized by the moment. And we don't oftentimes get to decide what those moments are. You know, George Bush did not get to decide that 9-11 was going to happen. But he became charismatic in that moment when he stands on the rubble and says in a, in a, in a megaphone, but I can hear you and the people who took this tower down are going to hear from us in a few days. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's a, that's a person who stands up to a moment. I'll even brag on Rudy Giuliani in the moment. Yeah. Right? But the problem with charisma is that charisma is – you oftentimes don't get to know what that context is going to be. You don't know that Pearl Harbor is going to happen. You only get to react to what it is, right? And I think what many people look at in terms of leadership is not what's happening and what we know can happen and what the economic levers are and what the Constitution says and what interpretation you use. I think a lot of people – are reaching for something where they believe that there's a lot of uncertainty. You don't know who the next Osama bin Laden is. You don't know what's coming around. You don't know what the next Pearl Harbor is. And this came up during uh, during the primary between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in 2008. Do you remember the three o'clock phone call, three o'clock in the morning phone call? Mm-hmm. And her, her argument was, who do you want to right. answer the phone? Right. And her argument was, I have the experience. But the people said, no, this person has the character. Pointing at Obama. Yeah. And, and I think the people were wrong. It doesn't matter whether you think they were wrong. I think what we're trying to understand is what are people reaching for? Yes, and I'm saying they could be reaching inappropriately. Uh, okay, so let me give you I an I don't an, want to step give, on your argument, no, but no, I'm no, saying- No, 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 yeah, okay. I, I hear that. Okay. So let me give you an analogy that may or may not work. I've used it in sermons before. Um, uh, is there going to be an invitation yes, song after right. this? <laughs> yes, we stand together and sing. I was at the Walmart store- um, one evening, and I was back in the toy section. I wasn't going to buy toys. I was buying <laughs> some other stuff. I was by the toy section. I want to make that clear. 
Uh, I've got all the Play-Doh I need. There's a little boy, um, couldn't have been four years old, uh, just cute as can be, had overalls on, big, big head of curly hair, and snot running down his face, and he's just screaming at the top of his lungs because he can't find his mom. He's lost. The lost little boy in the Walmart store. And, of course, you know, everybody's like, what do we do? How do we, you know, who's your mommy, you know? And every time you try to ask him a question, there's all these people just gathered around him. And, and the, every time you ask him a question, he just screams all the louder, right? Because he doesn't know where his mom is and he's lost. And it's interesting to me that nobody said to the little kid, you know what you need to do is get yourself together, calm, calm your voice, and think about where's the last time you saw your mother, Nobody said that. They understood this is a four-year-old who's in a moment of panic. Um, he's not thinking clearly. Uh, he doesn't know how to think clearly. Uh, and so he needs for the rest of us to do it for him. And I think that in the world around us, there are people who are screaming out like children in a grocery store who are lost who don't know what they want, but they know this isn't working. And so they flip off a motorcade and everybody praises them for it and actually elects them to office because they did this thing. Because we are people standing in a grocery store without our mothers, crying out, trying to figure out where we are. We're lost. And there's only one group of people who aren't lost. There's only one group of adults in the room and I'm pointing at you and me. We're the ones who have this access to the source of true, true morality, the kind of morality that's informed by agape. And I think it's borderline silly to complain that the world is falling apart, that the world is becoming increasingly immoral, as long as we are not staying, standing up and saying, wait, 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 wait. Morality is morality. Honesty is honesty. I, I, I don't like using the word morality all the time. I, virtue is virtue, right? Um, honesty is honesty. Compassion is compassion, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Hospitality is hospitality, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. And as long as we live in a world that is crying out, um, I, don't know that, I don't know that it makes sense to turn to the world and rationally say, well, you know, what you need to do is follow the Constitution. That would solve everything. No, but you're, you're actually making my argument. It is also just as wrong to say we need to find the right kind of morality to put in office because that will be yes, good. Yes, also right. Yeah, so okay, that's wait, wait, just wait, wait, as wait. wrong. So talk to me about that. Okay. Well, the, the, we started this episode by my reporting on an episode right. on Facebook. A person who came in and trumped it all said – Essentially, what what I'm saying now, which is, we should not look to political leaders to be to rescue us from the current state. They're all humans, men and women. They will all let us down. This is not our focus. This is not who we are as believers. It is almost incidental to who we are and what we do on a daily basis. We should not look and. <clears throat> And that person is right, and, and I'm saying to you, you're right. 
we as Christians are in charge of helping of helping the four-year-olds with the snot nose find the mom, of, of responding to a crying world saying, there's a hole in my life and I can't find what's going to right. fill it. We are responsible. And, and the way that we get to act that out the, uh, to a maximum degree is with a government that lifts up liberty, which is why I would elect, I would vote for a person who is small government liberal, regardless of his or her uh, religious views, regardless of how many times he or she has been married, and regardless of how many times uh, he has lost his money gambling or something of that nature, that I would find reprehensible in another believer. And I would approach another believer and say, your life is not what I think it should be. I don't, I should not expect that from my president, and I shouldn't vote in those ways because of because you're right the christians have the answer uh there is not a politician who has not had to answer questions about faith that's right and i think that it is um theater i think there there are people well that they they treat it like theater doesn't mean that it is theater no but i what i mean is People are asking the question for a reason. Uh, yes, but if a person said, uh, this is how much I'm going to tax the middle class in order to start this program over here, everyone's going to pay at least 50% of their income in order, but I sure go to church every Sunday. I'm not sure evangelicals who are uh, economically savvy would say, well, I still am going to vote for the Christian. And I want you know, let's talk for a second about Jimmy Carter. Yeah, Jimmy Carter got lots and lots of people's vote because he was a Christian, yet he was an, an anemic, terrible president. Probably one of the worst in in most ways. He yeah. was terrible. So one I of wonder, the best people to be one of the worst presidents. And so I bet a lot of Christians who voted for him didn't say, well, "I'm still glad I voted for him," because even though the economy's terrible and home and uh, yeah, mortgage see, rates are seventeen percent, I'm still glad I did it because he was the Christian candidate. I don't think that's the case. The only argument you have in this <laughs> is the argument to con- tr- to try and convince people to the um, that liberty is in their best interest. That's right, and that's a hard argument, and that's, that's why right. libertarians are a small party. That's right, and, t- and th- that leads me to one other thing, Scott. That's very important that I say. I wrote it down to not forget it. In your paradigm, where Scott Self listens carefully to candidates and and pays attention to which of them speak virtuously and which of them tap into some moral foundations that you find appealing. Uh, Someone who says, when I become president, I'm going to pass laws that take care of sick people. That is an automatic checkmark to your sense of virtue. And that is not one of mine, because I know that in order for them to take care of sick people through policy, it's going to harm other sectors of the economy. So I don't chalk it up to virtue, but your side does. So we have different definitions of what is virtuous in a political candidate. Right. And some of them are necessarily tied to emotions, but that doesn't make them good things. Right, right. No, 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 no. And I think the same thing is true for your side, that when somebody says, uh, when somebody uses the term liberty, I think some of it has to do with, you know, Kahneman talks about this, you know, the, the varying economies um, or reactions to economies, that there is one kind of uh, risk involved with with per- perceived gain as opposed to perceived loss. Yes. And so, you know, you've got these different um, 
consequences being played out in people's minds yes. related to liberty and the consequences of liberty. Uh, and that's why oftentimes I'll ask a question like, well, does that mean that I can buy the place next to yours and open a bar? Or does that mean I can put up a, you know, a tent on the property next to yours and bring your property value down? And the reason I ask those kind of questions is it becomes a question of loss and risk, loss, mm-hmm. risk, right? Right. Um, it's one thing to talk about what we'll gain. It's another thing to talk about what will we lose and what are the um, what are the risks that people are willing to to experience as a as a function. Yes, of and I think some people have thought about that more than others. Yeah. I don't think no one's thought of it. I think people have just thought of it more. No, no, sure, <clears throat> sure. I don't think the general public have. I think the general public um, are crying out like children in a grocery store, and they say we want more liberty. We say we want people to follow the Constitution. What we really want is for somebody to make sense of this world around us. I don't fault Donald Trump for being who he is, but he is the way he is, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. It's like like Corey Lindowski was saying, yeah, I lied. <laughs> you can't even sue me about it. <laughs> um, when, I, when I think about somebody like that being elected, I think what that illustrates is that we have a culture around us that is that has lost a voice of centering morality. That preachers, for example, let me get really real with you on this. That preachers, for example, have stopped calling us to the better angels of our nature, but have instead started to to preach very egocentric sermons that make it clear that the world is about you and your needs and your relationship and you're, um, you're flourishing instead of calling us to the angels of our better nature. They haven't helped us figure out how to be honest for better and for worse. That um, we as a Christian community have stopped talking about things like what it means to live lives of compassion and started talking about things like um, our position on immigration. We've, I keep coming back to this. I think at the end of the day, the world is aching for a group of people who call the world to the angels of its better nature. And they, they redefine morality um, with as much rationality and as much care and as much uh, clarity as a four-year-old crying out in a Walmart store. Um, and as long as we are going to play their game and join in and just cry and scream with them and use the language of the four-year-old in the grocery store, as long as we're going to play that game, then uh, we have no voice in the public square. And I think we ought to have one. I am less concerned whether my politician is honest and more concerned about whether I am honest. I can't control Donald Trump. I, I'm less concerned about trying to convince other people on Facebook uh, to celebrate the virtue of Barack Obama and more concerned about making sure that my own family demonstrate the kinds of virtues that I believe uh, that we as people of Christ are called to. Okay, then why are you concerned with your leader being a this virtuous is, this person? This is where I get to, okay. is I don't mind pointing to examples in the public square. And I don't think I'm wrong to do that. When the, when, the, 
when the widow puts her two mites in the box, Jesus calls his disciples over and he says, look, this woman gave everything she has. And what he's doing there in that moment is he's pointing to the virtue that is expressed in that moment. That doesn't tell us who she, I, mean, I think it does tell us a little bit about mm. how she, who she is, but it doesn't tell us, you know, whether she was uh, a strict constitutionalist or not. It tells us she was, it tells us what is good and pointed to what is good. And I don't think it's wrong I don't think it's wrong at all to point to moments in in and and say listen that is a good moment that is a good thing I can point to John McCain saying to that woman no 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 Barack Obama's a good man I think it's valuable to celebrate that way beyond political theory I think it's the most important thing to note it's not an important thing to note it's not gravy it's the thing everything else our details. Well, I'm all for pointing to things if they happen. I just don't want to vote on people because I expect that Fine, to happen. But I'm talking about Christians in the public square, not Christians in the fo- voting booth. Yeah, well, Christians in the public square may not have a, pre- a president who gives them any opportunity to point, but they can. Why is it important to be able to point to a, a leader in the public square and say, this is how we should be? Because I think this is what we as a, I think this is about living the salvation of God in the world around us. It's not about political theory. It's not about whether the poor are served by the government as opposed to, but it's about living a living in in a community that restores the world around us. Yes, but that saves creation. I'm so confused right now because I can point to custodians on this campus who I think are fantastic, even though I can't point to Donald Trump. I think what I'm trying to get at here is that the way in which this is a criticism of Christianity not of Christian libertarianism okay it's not a criticism of somebody saying I vote for people who will follow the Constitution and I don't care whether they're moral or not that's not my criticism Uh, in fact I don't know that I want to even use the word criticism this is observation a a call okay an invitation (laughs) I knew that anyway. I knew it. I knew there was going to um, be. That this, our podcast is about Christians in the public square. Correct. And how we behave in the public square. Right. And when we accept from politicians, yeah, sure, I lie. Whatever. So does everybody else. Or when we accept that, uh, or when we vote for a politician because she flipped off a motorcade, we have robbed the world of the very thing it needs the most. What it needs the most is our agape in the public square. It doesn't need, I know this will, will frustrate you, it doesn't need the Constitution. Constitution's nice. Your interpretation of the Constitution is, well, it's nice-ish. That's not what the world needs. It doesn't need liberty. Right. So I think that there is, uh, that this is, when it comes down to the question of whether we expect morality around us, uh, it's not wrong for me to note when things are not happening according to 
the uh, to the virtues that I intend to live for. And it's not wrong for me to celebrate them when they are. If you're saying I shouldn't vote for a person solely upon those values, okay, I can listen to that. But I'm going to point out that that is the most important thing to me. That is the important thing to me, regardless of whether I vote for them or not. Then you would vote for Carter after Carter after Carter. Um, I would vote for Carter after Reagan, after Obama, after Bush 41. I think that there are times where people have shown us who they are, and when they've shown us who they are, I'm happy to vote for them even if I disagree with them. I, I was too young to vote for Carter, but I have not voted according to a you, you know this about yeah, me. Yeah. Barack Obama was the first Democrat I voted for, having been a liberal my entire adult life. Yeah. So, th- so th- this is, it is about something. It is about something deeper for me than it is about political affiliation or um, uh, political structure. I vote based upon the person, the values of the person, and I'm comfortable doing that because it is more important to me than whether I agree with them on their interpretation of the Constitution or not. Even if their interpretation of the Constitution causes material harm to other people. Yes. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast today. <laughs> I think that's where, I think that's where we come no, down uh, again. But, but I don't is... think that liberty is what the world needs. I think a government that high that raises up liberty allows us to believe that. So this is where you and I are significantly different. Is it's not that I am. Uh, that I believe in a social in a in a socialist structure, and you believe in a in a, in a free market economic structure. That's not the place that I think we end up disagreeing. It's that my political theory is subordinated subordinated so severely to I think what I believe is my call as a member of the way that it almost becomes theoretical. Well, I don't want listeners to think that I don't feel that exact same way. No, I don't. No, 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 no. Let me say where I think about you. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you what I think about you. No, I think that you understand a – you have a systemic understanding of your role as a Christian, the concept of liberty as a virtue rather than as something that only uh, – something that is materially good, right? It is a, a virtue. I've, I've been fascinated as I've, this is why I was talking before about throwing you problems. Yeah. Because you accept the problems. Not, not problems of the system, but prob, pro, problematic outcome. Wait, wait a minute, I may open up a pizza shop and my pizza shop may go under and I'll be uh, forced to stand on the side of the road with, a, with a, one of those sign sandwiches saying, you know, uh, can you help a brother out? And you'll say, yes, well, you risked your money in the market, right? That is a, that's a person who approaches the concept of liberty as a virtue. Your point of view is systemically uh, knit together. I can't, I, I can't have a system that's systemically knit together. Why can't you? Well, as I confessed at some earlier point, I'm very suspicious of systems in the first place. But secondly, I'm convinced that a person can flourish as a, in their Christianity, can flourish and can ultimately be pleasing to God in all of its forms and elements in a system that provides them no liberty. 
I'm full on. That's a full on existential understanding of of Christianity. Okay. Let's let's bottom line it for our listeners before we sign off. Okay. Which is to say, um, I believe that I that idealistically I would love a candidate who is a strong Christian who has strong moral fiber and virtue, who also lifts up liberty as a president of the United States. Um, given a choice among all those, I would rather the person lift up liberty so that I can continue what I think is my job as a Christian yeah. to help the crying children and so forth and right. to help people who are trying to find what fills their soul. And so I, I'm not – I'm not going to lift up virtue above that in a candidate. So I've seen you actually during election times say, well, I'm going to vote for this person. I'm not necessarily happy about it, mm-hmm. right? Well, I think I think both of us have been in that position <laughs> um, a lot lately. But what, you, what you're saying there is that you expect the politician to do the work of uh, executing the Constitution, and that's their job. Right. Right. I think right. that's – I understand that point of view. I just, I will, I will always vote for the person that I believe has a central, a central and governing set of virtues that have been demonstrated on accident as much as they've been demonstrated on purpose. And, and so I can, I, that's why I can say, I still think that Ronald Reagan was one of the best presidents. He doesn't have to agree with me or my interpretation of uh, <laughs> trickle-down economics or my, my suspicion of trickle-down. It doesn't matter. It does not matter to me. Economic theory doesn't matter to me. Political theory doesn't matter to me as much as um, the salvific work of God's people in the public square. I'd like to put out a special call to our listeners to go to the email on our podcast yeah. and let us oh, know what you think. Let us know what you think. Who's, who, <laughs> need, who needs to straighten up? <laughs> and fly right. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks.